Uh, well, I want to welcome you again. I want to welcome those watching in uh, Bothell, Issaquah, Duval as well. Uh, as we are continuing this series, Too Good to Be True, uh, I was in my growth group. Uh, my growth group meets on Wednesday morning, a uh, bunch of guys at uh, Panera. And one of the guys in our growth group uh, was sort of geeking out a little bit on uh, this thing called, and have any of you heard of or do you have uh, the Amazon Echo? Any of you have that? Yeah, it's Alexa. It's is what you, you name it. It has a name. And uh, in it, it, it has all these different things. By the end of our Bible study, uh, two of us had bought one on our smartphones. And uh, I mean, it was one of these things that can, you know, uh, you can uh, tell it what music to play. It'll play music. Uh, you can uh, set a timer with it. You can ask for the day's news. Uh, it'll give you a massage. I mean, it is uh, absolutely uh, incredible. Actually, you can have the, the lights and the garage door and all of that. You can make your home uh, a smart home uh, with Alexa. It's really pretty cool. Uh, I'm actually making my home uh, a smart home. I've ordered one light bulb so far. Uh, it's going to be a process, but I'm uh, eventually going to get there. And uh, really, uh, the question, though, when you hear about something like this is, is it going to live up to the hype? Uh, we've all heard hype about uh, so many things uh, during our lifetime. Uh, any of you remember, now this is going to date you a little bit. Any of you remember the AMC Pacer or Gremlin? Yeah, they were supposed to revolutionize uh, the automobile industry. <laughs> and instead, it put the company out of business. That's what it did. But uh, the idea is that, is it going to live up to the hype? And we're in this study in the, the book of Colossians. It was a group of people around 60, 61 AD, some say around 50 AD. doesn't matter too much for our purposes uh, that the apostle Paul writes to, and uh, they had trusted in Jesus. And the question was, uh, is it really going to, is this relationship with Jesus uh, going to live up to what I've been told it's going to be like? The Apostle Paul, and we've looked at this in the last few weeks, he, he wrote from uh, prison. Uh, he, while he was in prison, he had actually never visited Colossae, but he had heard about this group of believers, and he had heard about their incredible faith, but he'd also heard that some people had come along the way and started uh, to lead them away from authentic faith. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Rick uh, at the Redmond campus and the campus pastors at the various campuses uh, looked at the, it, what's called Christology, uh, which is uh, the idea of who Jesus is, the study of Jesus, and who he is. Today, we're going to look at a, another 50-cent theological word. Uh, it's called ecclesiology. That's the study of uh, the church, not, you know, like our church, but of church, of Christian community. And why is that important, uh, not only to our lives practically, but it's also important to how we engage with God. See, there's something that's hardwired in every one of us. 
we all want to belong. We all want to belong to someone uh, or something. Uh, there, there's all sorts of organizations. And in fact, I was going through uh, some lists of organizations that you can uh, belong to. And, th- and the question is, is, is it worth it? There's actually uh, an association of gravestone studies. Uh, there's a group of people who get together and uh, they look at gravestones, nothing morbid about that. But then again, who am I to judge? I watch The Walking Dead. So uh, <laughs> there's uh, an association for pet obesity prevention. There's a group of people who are really uh, concerned about fat animals. Here's some pictures from their website. There's a dog. Oh, yeah. And there's a cat. <laughs> yeah. I wonder who he ate. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and so, so you have uh, these societies. People want to belong uh, with other groups of people. Uh, there's a squirrel club at the University of Michigan. Some students started a squirrel club to feed squirrels uh, peanuts every day, explained Sarah Smith, a University of Michigan junior and campus writer. The group even has Michigan Squirrels t-shirts created in the same style as the athletic team, uh, which drastically increased their popularity. And at the College of William and Mary, there is a Wizard and Muggles Society, Yes, these in this prestigious, uh, they're divided into houses. They compete for points each year. They actually have a, kid, a Quidditch team. Um, and here are some of the people in the club there. Uh, it'll show. Yeah, there's all sorts of people. There. Uh, and what can I say? I'm sort of a fan. <laughs> That's Pastor Shane. Yeah, there, there. So uh, now I'm having some fun, uh, but we're re- we really are hardwired to belong. The question is, is what do we belong to and is it worth it? Is it going to live up to the hype? Now, uh, we see as Christian believers, if you follow, if you say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something that's true about us. In Colossians 1.22, it says, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's sort of who we are uh, in Jesus. That's what he's created us to be. But we live that out in community. We read later on in Colossians 2.2, the Apostle Paul says this, is my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now that sounds like Uh, something worth belonging to. But you know what happens is we think of Christian community. We we may think of a past, some of uh, us who were raised in the church. I didn't have that opportunity to be raised in a church environment. Some of you had incredible uh, experiences of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But others of you maybe had experience where it, it wasn't so loving, And it wasn't so accepting. And there wasn't a lot of forgiveness there. And I think we have to be realistic as we consider this thing that God has created us for that's not too good to be true, but it's true, that we can mess it up along the way. And I want to say, if if you've been in a Christian environment, 
And maybe it was well-meaning people. Maybe it wasn't people who were so well-meaning and they hurt you. Uh, I'm sorry you experienced that. But my prayer would be is that we could take a look together at not what, uh, what is wrong with everything. We're going we're to see what can kill Christian community in a moment. But what we were designed to be and how that can affect our life and faith. But if you've been hurt by other people along the way, my guess is that you've experienced what the Apostle Paul talks about uh, in really community killers, things that can ruin uh, a faith community as people come together. One of the things he points out, number one, is intellectual arrogance. There's uh, this sense that if, if you were as enlightened as I am, if you had this special knowledge, a special way of looking at God, then you would be good enough to be accepted. Now, this really is the oldest heresy, false doctrine, that we find in, in the New Testament. It's called Gnosticism. Uh, this idea back then, people said, if you had this special wisdom, and it's really hard to get, and God only gives it to a special few then you're going to have a great relationship with God. When you hear people talking about special wisdom, no, the New Testament speaks against that more than any other false belief system. That Because is God powerful enough to reveal himself and his will to you? If someone says differently, I can tell you, that is not Christian or biblical faith. It's not a variation of, it's a different religion. The Apostle Paul says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow hollow and deceptive philosophy. The idea is that they've created their own faith system. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to humility of saying, you know, God maybe has created me with some intellect and I've gained some wisdom along the way. But there are some things about God that I can only know when he reveals it to me. And he's not going to just reveal it to me. He's going to reveal it to anyone who's truly seeking him. Now, the question is, is, hey, am I open for business? And if I am, then we're going to be able to approach God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Uh, Another community a killer in Christian community can be what I call a ceremonial faith. And this is where, uh, you know, it's about traditionalism. Traditions are not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, Traditions, it's really what some scholars would call the living faith of dead people. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. It's where we sort of worship the tradition. In fact, I, I ran into someone the other day. Not many people usually will admit this. Uh, and he would say, hey, you, uh, you know, I, I come to your church a couple times. I was working out uh, in the gym, and uh, he, he recognized uh, me and, and came up, and he said, yeah, and it comes from a different country, and said, uh, yeah, I had a child who uh, had to go through confirmation, and so uh, part of that process was even though it was in our old country, we had to go to a church once, and so we decided to go to yours, and then uh, we went back a couple years later, because evidently my sermon was so moving, uh, <laughs> and we came again on Easter, uh, 
now, now that, you know, I understand that there are cultural, uh, cultural ways of being in, in certain cultures that we would uh, do these ceremonies. But that's not a living faith. A living faith is where we say, God, I want to encounter you today. See, some people will judge other people by what traditions uh, they uphold. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with traditions. In fact, it's interesting, I find this, that traditions that are long held, but honestly not biblical at all, that we can tend to judge other people by. I mean, even think about it. I mean, this is, I don't want to blow anyone's mind, and we'll, because uh, we've done this before, we've done this on some of our campuses, uh, we'll have like a Good Friday service. And I think that's great. You know, that's not, that's not anywhere in the Bible. There's no even, not even an example of it. It's us creating a tradition where we can live out our faith. But if we say before Easter, you have to have a Good Friday service, there's actually nothing in Scripture that would lead to that. It doesn't say you can't have one. But sometimes we get so caught up in our traditions. And, and this was happening to people in Colossae. And the, the Apostle Paul uh, says this. He says, uh, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He's saying, don't get caught up in a ceremonial uh, faith. So, so I'll go ahead, and I know I'm going to offend a few people. Uh, if I haven't offended you before, you probably haven't come here before. The, uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I've been a pastor in a few different groups. So I, I come from a Jewish background, became a Christian, and so, so I, I really believe that any church, any denomination uh, who... Uh, upholds Jesus uh, is great. I mean, we may have different styles, and, and that's okay. Uh, but, you know, for example, some of you uh, were, went through a confirmation process, and you say, hey, that's good. And the thought in confirmation is really good. The thought is, hey, let's teach our kids the basics of the faith. Nothing wrong in that. But what's happened in our society, in fact, Usually, you know what the end result is in, of confirmation processes in most churches? Is kids stop going to church afterwards. And because they believed it's the milestone to me having arrived in my faith. And we need to be careful of anything that we would replace the living faith for some sort of uh, ceremonial faith. And, and then there's uh, three, there's seeking spiritual highs. Now, I'm not talking about having a, a supernatural encounter with God. I've had those in my life. Some of, some if I shared with you, it'd probably freak you out. Uh, you'd say, hey, what were you on? I've never used drugs in my life. It was totally God. And uh, I've had those experiences. But when we seek the experience over the experience giver, we run into trouble says this, do not let anyone who, uh, 
delights in, in, uh, delights in the false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. You know, I, I came uh, from a background. I pastored in, in a church which was a little uh, more expressive, uh, charismatic, and loved, loved that really love that. But every once in a while, we would get the, you know, God told me to tell you kind of people. And, uh, you know, hey, God, isn't it funny if you've ever been in that? No one ever says, hey, uh, God told me to tell you that I can be a real jerk sometime. No one ever says that, do they? It's always something that's about you. And what we can seek is sort of this a mystical encounter, and I believe in the mystical. In fact, some people would say, well, I was raised in an environment that said, you know, God works certain ways in certain areas. I think that God works all the spiritual gifts you find in the Bible. I, I think that God can work that same way today. But when I seek the, the gift and not the gift giver, then I'm going to run out, I, run out of spiritual highs. I've seen it time and time again people who are looking for the greatest spiritual high. And almost always, they end up at a place where they wander away from faith because the faith was not based in the one who gives the experience, but the experience itself. And then there's non-biblical rules. Uh, this is really what I would call uh, religion. Uh, see, we... we, we believe that Christianity is a personal faith. Do you know that religion actually comes from a word that means bondage? Uh, the problem is that it's predicated on the fallacy that God needs something or lacks something that I bring to Him. And the only thing that God lacks uh, is sin, and I don't think He wants that. <laughs> we, we read this, it says, uh, since you died uh, with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you uh, still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value. And that really gets into uh, legalism, where we, where we believe, you know, that there's these extra rules that other people have to uh, follow. And, and there are always things that we, you know, we believe uh, are right. I, I, when I became a Christian uh, back in the 1980s, I know some, I won't ask how many of you were not born then, but the, uh, uh, I became a Christian in the 1980s, and I remember uh, the youth group that uh, I went to after I became a, a, a Christian, and it was talking about how music, any music that was not Christian music was of the devil. And so I had in that we were supposed to uh, burn or break our records. And, you know, and I had some, you know, great uh, old records. I won't mention the bands, but they were. And they said, you have to get rid of them. 
And I'm like, I'm not going to burn these records. Instead, I sold them to my stepbrother, John. I figured he was going to hell anyway. He might as well have good music along the way. (laughs) I'm a better person than I used to be. (laughs) But the idea is that there were all these rules. Now, there are things that are wise. Like when I, uh, after I became a Christian, I realized some of the movies that I saw probably weren't helpful. I, I used to love to watch horror movies all the time where people, you know, this was after I was a Christian a couple of years, I thought, you know what, maybe God doesn't want me to watch these horror movies. And that was, now if I said that for everyone else, do I believe, yeah, it's probably not a great idea? Yeah. That's, that's not a rule that's in the Bible. And what we like to do is we like to add rules. And in fact, uh, back in the Middle Ages, uh, John Calvin, a theologian, he tried to set up this perfect society. And uh, in this perfect Christian society, they came up with all these extra rules because God had uh, missed, missed out. There were laws on how many dishes could be served at every meal. There were laws against hunting, laws against pitchers, laws against naming your children except uh, any name that was in the Old Testament. Literally, one person was sent to jail for naming their son Claude. And the idea was, is there were all these uh, extra rules. Legalism is something we need to be careful of. Because legalism kills. But before it kills, it attracts a lot of really dysfunctional people who like to judge others. And God wants us to go in a different direction. How do you spot a legalistic Christian? Or how do you spot if, you're, if that's sort of your bent? Uh, I, I, here's how I would describe. Uh, and legalists are what I call one-strike Christians. One strike and you're out. Always looking for someone to misbehave. I know every once in a while I get an email from a one-strike Christian. And... That's not how God deals with you. And in fact, if you're committed to being a one-strike Christian, and I don't say this with any pride, just call it one strike, you're in the wrong place. Because that's not what the Scripture teaches. And we're probably never going to agree on anything else if we can't fundamentally agree on the grace of God, where it's one, two, three strikes, and God still says, I'm not going to count you out because you're my child, and I love you, and I may not agree with everything you've done, but my heart is to redeem you. Here's the scary part, is if you ask most people what being a good Christian is, in fact, there was a study done, 80% would say it's keeping the rules. Now, does God have a system of morality he wants us to live by? Absolutely. I talk about that all the time. But the system of morality is a byproduct of the faith I have in Jesus. It's not what makes me right with God. 
so I gave you a lot on the warning, and here's, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together, and I'm going to uh, go uh, through the rest of this relatively quickly, is I want us to consider, and I'm going to call you to maybe take a step today, of what it would look like to maybe bring a new perspective to an old experience. Uh, and when I'm t- let me give you an example. First time, uh, I, I was, first time ever, I was traveling, not traveling for the first time ever, but I was traveling, I was in uh, Texas and Indiana and doing uh, a bunch of things there. Uh, some of them were s- sort of funny, like one was a conference I was uh, uh, invited to, and I, I thought that was really great. I somehow missed in my notes that I was supposed to give one of the sessions at this conference, and then they said, well, now Pastor Ben is going to get up to speak. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty, literally, it was one of those uh, moments where, uh, uh, you know, it, it turned out okay. One person said, you know what? That was amazing. You didn't even need notes. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, yeah. It's almost like I just did it off the cuff. So... <laughs> But anyway, so when I was there, uh, one of the things I, I took for the first time, I took it twice, was an Uber. How many of you have taken an Uber? Or, okay, yeah, lots of you. I'm, I'm just sort of, you know, late to the party. The, the first one uh, was, it, it sort of was interesting as I was thinking about it. Uh, first time was with a friend. The second time, I sort of took an Uber on my own. And driving in a car is, uh, you know, an experience I've done it for years and years and years. But uh, taking an Uber, it was less hassle. I was writing notes. It was less formal. And in fact, the guy who took me on my first Uber ride was wearing his uniform from work. He didn't even need to change his uniform. And from the smell of it, he didn't even need to take a shower. I mean, it was absolutely, uh, it was super quick and easy. There were no gotcha moments. You knew the approximate price. Uh, No expectation of tips, although I gave one, just to let you know. And uh, it was a normal car. It's not like I was in this yellow car screaming, I'm on the way to the airport. Uh, which, by the way, I, last time I took a cab, I have this fear of cabs. I've shared this story before. Uh, last time I took a cab, I called in for a cab at the airport. I think I was in Orlando. And a guy comes up and starts yelling my name. He was a Jamaican guy, but he had gotten my last name wrong. And so instead of yelling Sigmund, he yelled, Pigman, Pigman. And I'm not kidding. I've shared this before. It was crowded. Everyone's looking at He's going, Pigman, Pigman. And I'm like, yes, I am the Pigman. And uh, uh, so that was the last time I ever took a cab. So I appreciate Uber. Uh, and so, uh, and he was thankful. He was like, like totally like different, you know, sorry if you're a cab driver. This guy was like, he was uh, talking to me, he was saying, I make 500 bucks a weekend just driving an Uber. So after service, <laughs> I'm going to be gone. No, the, uh, <laughs> I think I could use the money. So uh, seriously, uh, I was just thinking about that. And I was thinking what my prayer would be for you and for me is that we would really gain a new experience or not, a new perspective on an experience that you've had before Maybe you'd engage differently. And it's this thing called church. So what's the marks of a church worth belonging to? Maybe you're here, this isn't even in your church. 
this isn't even your church. Pick, pick a church that shows these marks. Uh, the first uh, thing we see in this, and I'm going to go through Colossians 1, 28 through 29, I have the whole passage there, is uh, Jesus is a message. That when you're uh, a church worth belonging to, the message, it's all about Jesus. It says in Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim Christ. Uh, Christ is the one we proclaim. Number two, everybody matters. There are no second-class Christians. It doesn't mean we have the same gifts. It doesn't mean we have the same experiences or the same amounts of knowledge. But that everyone matters. And Colossians 1.28, it says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It means that we come together because bigger than what I feel about uh, music or culture or politics is a unity that is in Jesus Christ. You think about Jesus' first followers. You had Matthew the tax collector. He had sold out his people to work for the Roman occupiers. And Simon the zealot, who was a revolutionary and he was committed to overthrowing the Romans. And they came together, not because they believed the same politically, not because they had the same experiences, because they said, the biggest thing in my life is Jesus Christ. And my prayer is, that would be, that would be like Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz coming together in a Bible study. It's saying the biggest, some of you are like making all sorts of assumptions there, but it's, what's the most important thing? That everybody matters because of who Jesus says we are. And we don't have to think the same way. Some of us like to dress up coming to church. Some of us like to dress down coming to church. Uh, some of us like to hunt. Some of us are vegans. Uh, some of us uh, have tattoos. Any of you have tattoos? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Any of you surprised by the people who have tattoos? No, just kidding. The, uh, uh, some of us are saying, I'll never get a tattoo. It's just not the biggest thing about me. The biggest thing about me is who Jesus is in my life. And a church worth belonging to is never one. I don't care left or right. I don't care how committed you are to your political ideology. A good church will say, make Jesus bigger than that. I think there's going to be a little more room next week. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> and it's saying that, that be so careful in how you live your life. Later on in the end of this book, it says in Colossians 5, 6, be wise in the way you act towards the outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As we say around here, and I've said again and again, we always want to make a difference, not just make a point. Number three, 
you can grow. In, in, in a church worth belonging to, there should be a place for you to grow spiritually. Now, the funny thing is every once in a while, uh, I will hear people say, and uh, uh, we all should. Well, one, we don't should on people around here. And two, uh, we all, we're in different places in our faith. I mean, you want to have a church that's not really helping anyone to grow? Make everyone conform to the same thing. Because some of you are checking out Jesus for the first time. And it's not, for you, it's not about serving or giving or anything. It's just deciding about, is Jesus going to be big in your life? That's, a, that's your next right step. Some of you have said, you know what? I've accepted Jesus. I've, I worship him. But if you are going to be honest, there's been parts of your life you've been holding back. And it's that very point where God's going to call you to take your next right step. And I think in a good church, see, here's, here's the goal. The goal is so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, no matter where we're at. Uh, well, how do you grow spiritually? You grow spiritually by being intentional. Uh, there's intentional obedience. Uh, intentional obedience, uh, you think about that with baptism. Uh, in fact, next week we're going to uh, have baptism on some of our campuses. And uh, that's where you say, because Jesus commanded it, I'm going to do it. It's, not, it's just one of those things that I trust Jesus. There's intentional ministry where we say, hey, I'm going to not just help people whoever come along my way. That's good, by the way. You should do that. But I'm going to be intentional about serving other people. You should have a ministry in the church and ministry outside of the church. There's intentional generosity. We looked at it at the beginning of the year in our One Million Reasons initiative. By the way, not only did a lot of you participate, but really in the first six weeks, just want to let you know, about 90% of you are already on board with the financial part of that. And there are incredible blessings that people are having around the world as we support with our ministry partners and uh, in our church because of that. And maybe you say, hey, I didn't sign up for that. That's okay. Just be intentional. You don't have to be part of an initiative. Just say, I'm going to be intentional. And then there's intentional community. Uh, this weekend in particular, big one, uh, on our uh, Redmond and Duval campuses, uh, we're having uh, membership classes uh, uh, that you can uh, go to. There's growth groups. What is that? I, I would just encourage you to take a growth step because it's hard to just stay in place. Either we're growing or we're slipping back. In fact, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was saying they're going through a dry spell. And you might be in that same place. And the Bible, in fact, if you read in the book of Revelation, it's, there's an uh, early part of it before it gets into some of the language about what's going to happen when Jesus returns and that stuff that people like to debate about and none of us fully understand. It's just talking to a group of churches, and one of them had sort of gotten blah in their faith. And the Scripture says, do the things you did at first. Return to your first love. Maybe for you, it's not about finding faith. It's about finding it again. 
See, uh, a church worth belonging to is we're renewed. We're renewed by what God has done in us. It says in uh, Colossians 1.29, Christ so powerfully works in me. And so how does that happen? That happens when we come together as imperfect people, we love one another as best we can, we're centered around Jesus, we all want to grow together, and we take that, that step, that commitment, to say, I'm not going to live life alone. I had uh, this last fall, and I, I think I may have shared this before, I'm not sure, uh, I had not been in a growth group for uh, over a year. I had just not, uh, you know, stuff had happened, and gotten busy, all of that. And uh, a growth group is, this one in particular, mine's the men Bible, uh, men's Bible study. But I realized that I didn't need to be in a growth group to set an example for the whole church. But I just felt like I could go further faster if there were people who would walk with me in my faith. And so uh, I've made that commitment every Wednesday morning, great group of guys. And I don't know what your next step is, uh, but I hope it involves other people. In fact, I, I want you to hear uh, the story uh, of a couple who uh, came to Timberlake, Julia, and Aaron. Uh, they had just recently uh, committed to Jesus, sort of committed to each other, uh, but then they found their next step was a really a commitment to growth and community. Here's their story. 